International. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Leading the Blind podcast. Uh, I still don't know what to call you guys. Uh, something snappy, like maybe like uh, blind people. Okay, I'll work on it. Um, but anyway, yeah, it's our podcast uh, with Jerry McCorkle. That's me and Ariel Norman. Um, this is our episode with Aaron Brooks. And I don't think this one needs any sort of preamble. Uh, Aaron was great on it. We're so glad he did it. He's a really interesting guy. Uh, wonderful to give us his time. I think you guys will really enjoy it. Okay like stepping yeah. stones yeah and just to know it's not like oh once you make it yeah then it's just no. leveled out it's like that can also yeah. go yeah. down and you yeah. yeah and especially in a city like austin where there are so many really talented comics who are learning how to be comics yeah, yeah. and that especially is like a host i mean they could they could fill every hosting week with a different person yeah and like 75 percent of those weeks would be adequately run yeah and there's not a lot of places in america that can that can say that like the depth of the good enough comic is really deep here yeah, yeah. And like Kath calls it the fat middle. That's exactly that good. That's one hundred percent right. Deep yeah. bench. Like yeah. we, I'm really good friends with some guys from uh, Denver, and their Denver Denver pride is it's very thick. high. You mm-hmm. could put it on pancakes. Gratuitous. Like All right. But the, the difference is that like Denver has like these the three guys. I don't know. Are you familiar with the Grolics? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, a little bit. Uh, uh, Karina mentioned them. Oh, there are three guys out of Denver: Ben Roy, Adam, Kate, and Holland. And, and they got Overall. big, right? And they moved. Yeah, like they, story, they sold yeah. a pilot to Amazon yeah. that ultimately didn't get made, but it got picked up mm-hmm. by True TV, and they just signed on for their third season. Uh, it's a show called Those Who Can, and it's great. It's a really funny sitcom, and these three guys—they've all done sets on late night. Um, Andrew, they're Aaron, legit uh, as fuck. They're they're super legit. I mean, they've all been on Comedy Central. Uh, Kate and Holland's done Conan a couple times. They've all done. At I know Midnight. that name. Yeah, mm-hmm. like they're they're Conan? they're really yeah, really good comics. And, but the difference is, like Denver has those three guys, and a couple of other really really good JFL level yeah. uh, people who are on the way up. Like, oh, this guy's gonna make it. There's a handful of those really good kind of sure thing comics. Yeah, and then there's like a a glut hmm. of well, so there's those like the handful of like the elite comics where you would think here like Mac Blake, LaShonda Lester, for sure, uh, people who are like without a doubt professional features, like and Ka- people people who would like oh I'd headline them on an off night for sure. Yeah. Where they feel like those are every bit as good as the people I see on Netflix, sure, and all that. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're comics who are ready who just haven't broken yet. Yeah, yeah. There's there's a handful of those guys in Denver, and then there's like the next step down there's some of those guys the step down after that or there are people who are like good hosts and showcase headliners there's a lot of those people whereas austin is we don't have people on tv right now and this has all changed in the last couple of years with cubis and maggie may and yeah and shandy and you know some of the opportunities that you, know, you look at martha kelly we claim her yeah uh, 
So I mean, there's, she claims us too. I was like in that yeah. WTF thing. She talks about awesome. Austin a lot. Yeah. So I mean, the the it's shifted a little bit in the last couple of years. Whereas those guys who are really big in Denver have moved out to LA and are now sort of seeing. I mean, they're reaping the rewards of like a decade of hard work. Yeah. And Austin at that time was behind. There weren't people on television. And now we're seeing like the ascension of the really good comics in Austin into a national spotlight. But the, the group that's underneath that here is so huge. There are, I mean, I would, I've never really sat down and like thought about like a numbers game, but I would, I would bet there's 20, 25 people in Austin right now who, if you said, Hey, go middle for a weekend at cap city, it it would be seamless. Yeah. There's a lot of really, really good comics here who are sort of ready to take that next step to get to the point where they're just waiting on a break. On that note, and something you were talking about just earlier, I'm, I really hope the independent scene starts to break out too, in a way, because I was thinking, like, Bearden kind of scared me last episode. Not, I mean, it just talking about, like, the avenues that you can become kind of a yeah, professional comic and talking about, like, you know, being an MC and being a feature and that if you can't do that, it's really hard to get traction. And I was saying, Ariel and I both discussed this, like, it doesn't feel like a lot of times our acts are meant for that. that. I mean, if there was a, if there was somebody who, you know, there's a particular headliner that was a little closer to what we do. Maybe that would make sense or something like that. And to sorry to cut you off. No, there, no, please. Um, Open ended. There's, I, you think that would be the case, but, um, a lot of times it's kind of the opposite in that. I, I think, I think it's a fair assessment to say that you guys are probably a little more on the blue side of things. than yeah. most comics in town, um, and the comics is, is jizz drinking blue typically okay. yeah yeah generally it's <laughs> uh, on your diet yeah. <laughs> um but like the comics who like stay in that vein yeah generally don't want somebody who's a lot like them up front that makes sense because it it, it pulls away you know it, it leaves like the 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 blue jokes are less impactful when yeah. they've already sat through 20 or 30 minutes. That of makes it. a lot of sense. Yeah. So at the, the challenge for comics like yourselves and other comics who are very blue is how do you, how do you do it cleverly and like, and sort of safely. And that sounds really shitty to say, no, but when Jim Norton was coming up, do you think he was Jim Norton? No. no. Yeah. Like that guy had to cut his teeth and learn how to be a really good joke writer before anybody would take him seriously. Then when you kind of find an audience, okay, here's something weird and it grows and expands and it builds its own thing. I think that the real benefit to being somebody in that vein is that you haven't, there's an audience for that. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's always going to be people who like, I hate Jim Norton is just an example of like a blue guy, not saying you guys are Jim Norton, mm-hmm. but if somebody's like, I would love oh, to be compared to Jim Norton if that was the case. Yeah. <laughs> but I think that there's always people looking for like, Oh, what's similar to this? That's different from everything. Like I think it's definitely a genre of comedy that, that people who like that will seek it out. So, and then become like very, very like hardcore fans so yeah. i mean that's like a, a great benefit to, well, to and, building that audience and personally i want to get better at writing clean anyway just because i want to have that capacity you know what i mean yeah. like i oh yeah I, it's a it would be a weird thing to be like no my jokes have to yeah. have a lot of fucks in them and yeah. have to be dark and about corpses like no i mean i want to be able to be, like be able to write about everything that i could think of and but. i think you, you get to a point as a comic where um 
when you're coming up, people who you watch and you respect will pull you to the side or just sit right to your face and be like, hey, you got to cut that shit out. Yeah. Like, if you want to work in a club, which is whether whether or not it's it's the right path for you that's that's the the well-trodden one yeah. and so like that's that's like the main exactly way. yeah, yeah. When, when you start out you i mean that's all oh, that oh i want to get on that open mic i want to do well at that open mic oh i want to get a weekend i want to get a guest set or i want to host that's always the carrot at the end of the stick for new comics there are new comics saying like oh man i can't wait to drive 14 hours for 150 bucks to go to Milwaukee to entertain 12 people yeah, and then drive another 12 hours to the middle of Ohio and do the same thing and then drive, you know, their 10 hours home. Like that's not, that's not the dream yeah, for people. But, um, so yeah, I think there, there comes a time as a comic and I think everybody kind of goes through this where everybody around you recognizes that you've outgrown what you've done you're you're getting rid of those baby teeth and like you have to grow up as a comic and you can you can double down and say okay i'm gonna i'm gonna be a really great joke writer but you're gonna squint when i talk you know <laughs> like you're you're gonna you're gonna turn your head a little bit yeah because what's coming out isn't necessarily like appealing to you but it's so funny that I can't not pay attention to it. And then there's the people who just go, Oh, okay. I want to be, I want to kind of go back towards the pack and, and try to take a more traditional route to success. So it really depends on, on you. And I, I mean, I've worked with really great comics who were incredibly blue and really bad. And like anything else, like any other designation, like, there are really great and really bad comics on both sides. I, I like the idea. I think Lashana was talking about this at one point about how when she writes, she'll write whatever she thinks, she, she thinks is funny. And then because she's been doing it long enough, she can compile things and organize it like, okay, well, this would be a little bit more if I have to do some more like yeah. clean club stuff. Yeah. If I get my own show, this is some stuff. So instead that's what of like, I do in my notebooks. Yeah. 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 You know? And that's a really great feeling to have. Like you get to a point as well where like, if you get asked to do a show that's clean, you, you like you don't have to sweat it anymore. Yeah. You're like, okay, I can do this. This ten minutes, I can just take the fucks out. Yeah, and it's it's okay. Yeah, you know, it's and, better with the fucks because that's yeah. how I talk. But it's it's yeah. still yeah. structurally makes sense. Exactly. Um, well, let's back up a little bit because this is really good. But sure, like, no. Still a, but how long have you been doing comedy? Yeah. Aaron Brooks, uh, Aaron just Brooks. over seven yeah, years. Welcome. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> uh, seven, just over seven years. It was seven years in December. That's interesting. So, because I feel like so many of the people that we've talked to have been at about seven years, but you uh, haven't lived in Austin the whole time, no. right? Where did you start? I started right outside of St. Louis, mm-hmm. um, this little club in a place called Fairview Heights, Illinois. Uh, the club was called Comedy Etc., run by Art Viloff, who is like my uh, comedy dad. He's a great human oh, being. Must be nice. He's awesome. I was yeah. abandoned by my father. Well, my real dad. Well, yeah. I, I meant yeah. I, I meant I never had a comedy mentor. Oh, that well, sounds nice. I'll call Art and see what he's up to. Please. Uh, <laughs> this club was in the second floor of a Ramada Inn. Uh-huh. Then the ground floor had a TGI Fridays there, and uh, it was owned by Joe Buck, professional broadcaster Joe Buck. And then Ramada got mad. It was such a shitty hotel that the Ramada came in. They're like, you can't use the Ramada name, the distinguished <laughs> Ramada brand, because you don't have flat screen TVs and there's blood stains on the carpet. Yeah. So they pulled the licensing and it became a uh, like America's best value in or something. It was just one of those things where you're like, ah, oh, I might get stabbed if I stay there. <laughs> and then that hotel closed 
they tore it down so they could build a bigger TGI Fridays. Nice. So that's that's they had to expand. comedy. Is that so? Did that that club go away with the big yeah. TGI Fridays? So. Yeah, they, they tore the whole hotel down. Gotta have that Fridays. Gotta have it. <laughs> Fridays needed Lieben's more realm room for fried expand. green beans and wasabi <laughs> yeah, ranch. Um, yeah. Well, I have a lot. I have a lot of questions. Well, you can go if you're. No, no, no. I just, you know, I just because it's it's really my podcast. Yeah, you're here. Oh man, that hurts. (laughs) No, this is she started. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, but anyway, I so I want because I haven't been around long enough to know in some sense like what you're known for or whatever. But what I think I noticed about you is very multimedia in terms of like you do a lot of different stuff. Because you got to stand up, obviously, but you also have uh, a bunch of sketch stuff. I saw you do the thing with Mac on his mm. EP. You guys, yeah. that sketch that was hilarious. Uh, two nights ago, three nights ago at the Velve. Yeah, I, I just want to tell you that baseball show. Yeah, it was one of the pop up shows. Fucking hilarious. It was so much fun. It was. It was really Aaron and Nick. It was the comics too. Yeah, but it was them, mm-hmm. and that's not typical. Nick Savarino. Nick Savarino. Can we, sorry, we start yeah. getting in the habit of using people's last names. I'll just. Only use that. <laughs> Sabrino. Uh, but yeah, that was super fun. So good. Can you explain to the uh, so the listeners basically what it was? So uh, the show's called Low and Inside, and it's the brainchild of Mario DiGiorgio, who currently runs the Velveeta Room. Been on the podcast. Oh, Great deal. okay. So Mario <laughs> came to Nick and I, who he knows we are both like big baseball fans. Nick and I are both from the St. Louis area. Uh, so we're both like St. Louis Cardinals fans. And uh, he's like, hey, I got this idea for a show. Basically, it's comedy baseball where a uh, comic goes up and reads a tweet or a one-liner. If it's successful, they advance to first base. They can tag it to move additional bases. Hmm. Um, and then, so it, it if you, if like you the- miss, like if the joke doesn't go well, it's, it's an out. Yeah. Three outs per side at the end of... I think it was five innings. We ended up going six just to stretch our first time. We yeah. weren't really sure where the what the number was. Uh, whoever has most runs at the end of the game wins. Cute. So um, and the strength of the laugh kind of corresponded to how if it was a home yeah. run or yeah. a triple or which, whatever. which wasn't how it was supposed to be originally. It was just they advanced according to whether or not they would get tags. Yeah. But then it kind of I think it kind of we called an audible and it just made sense that if a joke's really big, yeah. but not quite an applause break, which is like a home run, yeah. then yeah, they should get an extra base. So um, we had two teams of five people apiece. Um, they picked their teams and then. Nick and I just called it like it was a baseball game. Mm -hmm. And we wrote like, I think I wrote like 30 different sponsors. Just really dumb stuff. And the the amount that they got out of the baseball metaphor was insane. Like it would be like one, it would be like a laugh laugh would happen, but it would drop off quick. And like Nick or Aaron would call it like a ground roll double or something like that. Yeah, yeah. It was hilarious. That's really It turned out to be kind of a roast thing too. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I mean, when when you're you're looking at like, because I think every comic ended up telling like, five maybe six jokes so when that person is constantly being introduced on stage like you have to you have to say something yeah Yeah. and obviously we play off like pat dean was one well of course we're gonna make fun of pat (laughs) but christina Parrish had a joke about her boyfriend not being able to find the clitoris well that's all we talked about (laughs) every time she came up hey here's a reminder they got into it in a really funny way it was great yeah she told me to eat a pizza Uh, (laughs) you said something to the effect of like well you're probably gonna get out next (laughs) yeah Yeah, so but it, it was just it was just a really fun thing where nobody took it personally everybody had a great time and all everybody who was there that saw it was like oh that was just super fun yeah 
Yeah. And uh, we're going to do it again. I got in invested April. in the game. Yeah. That was the, fu- the weird yeah. thing about it. I was like, oh my God, Pat's team's not going to win. See, How sports are cooler than you think, Jared. Yeah. Uh, no, I, yeah, no, they're not. But that, <laughs> no. that's what I heard was that people, like, Pat even told me, he's like, I was, and Murphy, Andrew Murphy said the same thing. He's like, yeah, I got really into, like, the competition of it. Like, I wanted I wanted our team to win. And yeah, it, it was it was so much fun. Cool. So we're going to do um, one in, again in April. We're not going to do one in March because it's South by. Yeah. But uh, in April, we're going to do cool. round two. Awesome. And I think it'll be two new teams full of people. And once again, that's like such a, what an amazing, what a great comedy scene where you can just pull a dozen people. Yeah. And trust that they'll write probably 10 one-liners a piece and that it'll be a really entertaining show full of great jokes. Yeah. So, and just to turn that into sort of advice or process or something like that, so it looks like that wasn't really straight stand up. I and mean, they were doing straight yeah, stand up, really. They were. But you're doing almost sketch. I mean, that's, there's a, you know, a character concept to it yeah. as a whole setting. And I'm curious, did you, is that something that just kind of happened as a matter of, like, sort of accidentally, the more you did comedy, or did you always want to branch out in that way? I've never planned <laughs> in comedy. It's, it's <laughs> like, I don't even write jokes down on paper. Um, something I'm trying to get better about is, like, having, like, a written record of what I'm thinking. But um, yeah, it's always for me. I and I think I think Nick Savarino is, is was a great co-host in that sense. Is I think we're of a similar ilk in that we both feel really comfortable in the moment. And that uh, probably the highlight of the show for me was at the end of the, the very last at bat came down to Pat Dean. Pat Dean, if he doesn't <laughs> tell a good joke, the game's over. And he. he points out of the crowd like he's calling a shot and I grab the microphone from Nick and I'm like oh much like Babe Ruth Pat Dean also has diabetes <laughs> and like it just like it oh, was this the line big of the lab. Yeah. So and good. then and then Pat's joke bombed which was perfect <laughs> yeah. and then that was the game so I, and Nick is the same way in that uh, we're very very much both in the moment and I'm, I'm that person as, as a comic as well uh, I write pretty much exclusively from stage. I mean, I, I think I'll have ideas here and there, but there's, there's like no better feeling when you go to buzz mill mm-hmm. and you got a kernel of an idea and you start talking through it and people are looking at you and your back is against the wall. And there's this weird like fight or flight mechanism that kicks in and you just kind of have to trust that you're funny and have faith that like this weird reptilian part of your comedy brain will just go off we'll find and something. Yeah. Say something. Well, on that note, do you think that's the kind of thing, because you mentioned you and Nick, and it's that's present what you guys do, is that the kind of thing that you think people should really be aiming for, or do you feel like, I mean, in terms of like advice for newer comics, or is it the kind of thing you feel like, that's just, you kind of either have that freedom, you kind of have that mind, or you don't? I think that, okay, so one, one really critical piece of advice that anybody who's ever asked me for advice about comedy, one piece of advice is, listen to everybody's advice, but be careful what you take. Sure. You never, I mean, it's every perspective is valuable and you never know what's going to spark whatever synapse in your brain. That's going to send you down the road to your, your next really good joke. But some, everybody's going to tell you what worked for them. Um, I, I think that this is the grain of salt disclaimer. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I think that a lot of comics would really benefit from, uh, being in the moment more. I think it's, I think there's a lot of really great, at least for me, a lot of really, my best stuff comes from in the moment. Um, and like, 
I think a lot of comics are afraid to jump into the crowd, and I'm not. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I'm, it's just me personally. I, I, I was the house MC at at, at a, a room for two and a half years that like it, it was a, a B room for all intents and purposes. And you know, if we had a hundred people on a show, man, that was fucking on. That was great. Uh, but there were, there were no shows where I did, I hosted a show for four people Yeah, and like, you have to engage at that point. And I, I think that like a lot of comics are afraid of that. Uh, and I don't, I don't know why probably yeah. just because there's so many heckler videos out there. Um, but you don't have to be aggressive towards people. You don't have to threaten people because as a comic, you ultimately hold the Trump card of like, Hey, everybody around you is here to see what we're doing and you're interrupting it. And to me, that's always been the thing where if somebody just really won't stop, you kind of pull that and like, Hey, you're, you're ruining everybody's day. But, um, I don't even know where I was going with this, but I, I, I well, think just in being the moment and that it's a, you were saying it's, this is something you see a lot of people are afraid to do it and you don't yeah. know why. Yeah. And, and I, yeah, I, I think that it, there's, there's a lot to be learned from that and it's, it's incredibly freeing, you know, uh, it feels really good sometimes to just step on stage and not really know where you're going to go. Yeah. Um, that's a really fun feeling for me. I, I understand why people would really be uh, scared of that. But I, once again, like, like coming up in comedy, how I came up two and a half years, I'm seeing a B room, you know, three, four nights a week when I wasn't doing that, I was uh, featuring or headlining in VFW halls and Knights of Columbus halls and bars all across the Midwest these uh, are interactive environments. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. yeah. You, you, there are a lot of, you, you, you learn really quick. Everybody has that joke. We're like, who here likes cats and people will <laughs> applaud. Um, some people do it ironically, but for a lot of people, it's just a way to get into a joke about cats and it's a crutch Yeah, and it's, it's a useless statement yeah. that regardless of what the audience says, 99% of the time, you're going to tell the same fucking joke. Yeah. Uh, when you do shows like that, people let you know and people have opinions yeah. and when they don't, when it's not a comedy club, when it's just the bar they're at six, seven nights a week. Oh yeah, this is my bar. I can say whatever the fuck I want to this guy and they'll yell shit out and you have to sort of spar with them in the moment or you just don't ask that question anymore yeah. and you yeah. just tell your joke about cats. It, so, I mean, you, you it, that's one of my favorite things Drew Carey ever said Yeah, was he was talking about like he used to, a guy would uh, feature for him and he'd have this thing about a uh, golf and the guy would be like, you know, who, who here likes golf? He's like, who gives it? Just tell your fucking golf tell joke. Tell the golf joke. Yeah. yeah. Like they, does it, they know what it is. Yeah. They're whether they like it or not yeah. really. Yeah. Unless it's like a designed thing. Yeah. Like there's no need to ask the audience a question because chances are you're going to say the same fucking series of words in that order, regardless of what their answers are. Aaron, I'm curious what your theory is on this actually, because you like Aaron are very crowd interactive. If you get the opportunity, yeah. you seem fearless when well, you do it. it. Yeah. It's fun to take the opportunity too. I mean, yeah. I write, I write it into a lot of, a lot of my bits that I'm going to ask people in the audience something, but it's something where I'm, I'm asking, you know, I'm, I'm opening it into crowd work or I'm asking the audience, but I'm allowing that because I mean, and I've also, you know, been running the show where I do the crowd work theme yeah. and the, the heckling aloud. I mean, I love it. I love I, that's the thing, but you just have to not be afraid. You have to know that you're witty. You have to but know that your, you're quick What's enough. your theory for why people don't do it? People are scared. And I think that people, I mean, it's probably fine not to do it for the first year or so when you're trying to just learn how to write material and you want to go to nice 
little safer spaces where you're going to get to try that. But I think that anybody who wants to have a comedy career eventually has to. I don't think that you could have a career where you're never going to have to work the rooms where you're going to need to do crowd work, yeah. where you're going to need to deal with hecklers. So even if you want to be a very polished, um, you know, whether it's one liner or a bit kind of comedian, even if you want to be very polished, you're still going to have a million of those experiences that you're going to have to deal with. So I say, try it. I mean, yeah. jump in and, and that's what I, so I do. And that's, and that's what I always tell comics to do when I, when I do my, um, when I do my crowd work show uh, is, you don't have to ask, hey, what do you do for a living yeah. or where are you from? You can ask a much more interesting question and get it onto a topic that you have jokes about, that you uh, have yeah, lines yeah, about. Uh, yeah. Dove Davidoff. I don't know if you guys know Dove. Yeah. He's he's a fantastic comic. He does this thing where he'll... I, I've worked with him a couple of times and he'll he'll walk in... Really? And, yeah, yeah. Actually, well, he's, that, he's awesome. So he's, okay. he's great. And like a, a very nice guy. At least every, every time I've ever worked with him. Super nice. I felt like but it he, sounded like a rube there. Really? <laughs> you know that guy? Okay. A while. Jared's just excited. <laughs> he, uh, he does this thing where he'll, he'll ask the crowd, like, hey, what do you guys want to talk about? And I remember seeing a show... And he's like, what do you guys want to talk about? And people were like, Obama. And he's like, man, Obama, man, Obama's crazy. I mean, he's been married for a long time. Yeah. And then he just launches into mm-hmm. a joke about marriage <laughs> that has nothing to do with Obama. So, I mean, there are tricks to it. Yeah. Of like, you, you, can, you can give the audience a false sense of participation and kind of like, like feed that. Because yeah. the other part is... Like I've done this on shows. I've done like fifteen minute sets where the first ten minutes are very like visceral and in the moment and and then like the momentum of that just kind of dies out and now I gotta tell jokes mm-hmm. and now like how it's impossible I mean, yeah. it's not impossible it's really hard to like in the middle of your set reset the room and go, okay now we're gonna and this is how I do it I go okay hey that was really fun now I'm gonna tell some jokes Mm -hmm. like I did this thing at the Valve one time I used to tell this joke about Captain Crunch and uh, (laughs) it was really dumb (laughs) I used to tell this joke about Captain Crunch and uh, I was like somebody in the crowd was like talking and something that I do is like if I see somebody talking I'll engage them and be like what what cereal would you what cereal mascot would you want to hear from and this girl was just like tony the tiger so like i had to come up with something like instantly that related and then people were like cookie crisp and like lobbing stuff (laughs) at me for seven minutes and we were just like riffing dumb cereal slogans and i'm like at some point i I even told them i was like i have to stop this (laughs) because none of my jokes are gonna live up to like this organic and visceral thing that's yeah. happening Fun right thing now. we're creating together. Yeah. yeah. And like, that's, that's like, that's the dragon for me that I feel like I'm constantly chasing is like that feeling of totally in the moment and just mm-hmm. nailing it. Yeah. yeah. Also, it seems to me when in bad rooms, when you start talking to the audience, because you're really easy, especially, I, mean, I just learned this doing a lot of open mics, you're easy to ignore if they want to ignore you. Yeah. And if you start talking to people and you make it not even confrontational, just like inquisitive, engaging, yeah. now other people are if on yeah. the lookout that you might talk to them too. Yeah. And then they're paying attention. I also, feel like silence is the most underused element of comedy. If you walk into like a really rowdy room and you just take two seconds don't say a word and just let the silence kind of hang there for a second people will shut up because hmm. like they're all of a sudden the environment's changed all of a sudden like there was this background noise 
that would drown me as the audience member out from everybody around me. So I'm safe to have this conversation. But when that's gone, now you're exposed. And like, I, I think that that's interesting. There, there are, there are tricks to like doing stand up where if you have to follow somebody who's a very different energy from you, I had to follow LaShonda at funniest person, Austin a few years ago and she swallowed me alive. She had the best set of the whole show. And I tried to like match that energy. And it's like, why? Like we're, <laughs> we're two very different people. Yeah. Um, and like, so I, I learned from that, like, Oh, you have to like reset and go, man, LaShonda was awesome. One more time for LaShonda. I'm, Hey, I'm Aaron. Let's talk about, what I, my jokes. Yeah. And so, I mean, there's, but silence is one of those things where you have to be, I think you have to be comfortable in it. Um, cause if you're not like people can sense that and it can, it can make things weird for everybody, but it's also like a really valuable tool for, for like, for building tension and, and for getting people to pay attention. And like, it's, it's, it's incredibly underutilized. That's dramatic too. Oh yeah. Like re- yeah. 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 And it can really enhance laughter. There's so many, I mean, I, I, not that I don't need that advice myself, but just thinking about like when I watch other comics, there are times where you just hear them and you're just like, if you had left even half a second of silence between yeah. those two words, yeah. you'd be getting a laugh That's right now. easier sure. to see than feel, I right. think. Because I know, because you may do this too, because I'm really talky, like yeah. very like, mm-hmm. can't shut up. And a lot of it's nervousness. A lot of it's like, you know, especially I hate the thing. I have a bad habit where if a joke doesn't want to, it doesn't work. I don't want to let it not work. I yeah. want to keep keep pushing it. It's oh, that anti vulnerability thing, or, of, or that uh thing that people do, where they're afraid to have the punchline, so they do the punchline. Well, that's go, like uh. they don't even. That's people not even waiting for the joke not to work. People yeah. who yeah. don't have faith in their jokes, um, then they do that punchline um and then it's like well if you're afraid of that joke not working like why are you trying it at an open mic if you're afraid it's not gonna work like why not like lean into it lean into it see if it works and if it hasn't worked in the past and that's why you're doing it then stop telling that joke chris rock talked before about how he writes is that he'll just write his jokes out word for word and then go up and just read them yeah without any of the yeah. affect that he usually uh, exactly and he's like i know that if, if if reading it off the paper gets a laugh when i sell it it's gonna get a huge laugh right. and that's so true watching louis at the valve uh one of the coolest things to see him do was he did all these jokes that totally worked he did a joke that didn't work really and he did not let it go he mm-hmm. kept trying to nuance it and make it work, and it was awesome to see a guy not be terrified or or even phased by like, oh, this absolutely new thing didn't. But he didn't give up, and he kept yeah. like trying yeah. new ways about it. Yeah. And you, I mean, I think you get to a point as a comic where like, where failure doesn't bother you anymore, yeah. and that's in the context of it grows from like the context of like, oh man, this punchline or this tag didn't work in my joke to uh, this two minute bit didn't work, failed miserably to this set didn't go bad. And then like or the set didn't go well. And you, I mean, you ultimately have the confidence to realize like, look, if I, if I bomb my ass off at the Velveeta room, it, it's not going to matter. Yeah. Like it, it's it, only if, you come back from it yeah. and you know, you don't just stop going to shows and you quit comedy forever, <laughs> yeah. but like, like failure is a, is a useful tool. Yeah. And I think that like when 
comics, you know, and this is something I remember really admiring in my first couple of years really watching comics. The comics who can have a joke, not land, and then sometimes they'll just say something that kind of, whether it's self-deprecating or whatever, but that then the audience can laugh about that and relieve the tension and still, and you're still in control. Or like with Lou and Louis exploring the bit that didn't work and getting it to, the audience a lot of times is invested. They still like you. They're yeah. still on your side. So they're looking for you to make it funny and they want you to. And, and they like that, ten- that tension that like, that happens when they know that a joke has bombed. Um, they want that relief too. So now they're even more ready to laugh. And so if you allow yourself to continue exploring it, I think that you can, you know, find some good stuff and then you are in control. And then they're, instead of you being in your head all of a sudden of like, Oh, now I'm going to rush through the rest of my set. Like yeah. you can just stay in control, but, you have to you have to try to find the funny but all that takes a tremendous amount of time just to get comfortable enough on stage to have bad moments and so to put it to you Aaron how long did it take you because that's Hmm. that's striking about you but it's probably just your time in is you look very comfortable on stage I didn't bomb for the first year I did stand up oh wow and I challenge anybody to uh talk to my friends back home sure and i remember the very first bomb that i ever had it was pardon me it was a terrible show it was a a benefit which are by and large terrible for comedians yeah Uh, it was a benefit at a knights of columbus hall in collinsville illinois uh a guy that i know he's like hey there's a benefit for a lady who has cancer it's going to be <laughs> yeah, you I and I and I mean, one of the comic. I'm not no. the cancer, just the idea of like, let me take yeah. the piss out of this serious exactly. thing. I have a cancer show coming up. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> the three of us go into this Casey Hall, and which seats probably like 400 people. If they put, you know, if it's like a banquet or some shit, and there's maybe 20 people there, 25. Oh god, yeah. Um, and to the to the right of the stage, if you're looking at it, are is a table filled with kids, kids mm-hmm. small enough they have they're coloring. But they're so young, they lack the coordination to hold the crayon like you would a, a pen or pencil. They're just clutching it in their fists. Yeah. Just fuck lines, Classic you know? Kid. They just crayon don't move. care about lines. Um, and I was a year into stand up and gonna do 20 or 25 minutes at that point. Oh, man. And uh, I, was, I, was, I was like, hey, I'm not, I'm not changing my jokes. Like, I'm not. You know, yeah. I'm going to do my set because it's like all I had. And like, okay, that's fine. Like, we've warned everybody. So um, they referred to us as a comedy team the whole night. Wow. And like, hey, we got a comedy team. Uh, but first. <laughs> you should have just started doing improv. It's it more better. legitimate or something like that. <laughs> like a team of. But before before the comedy team, there were a couple other things. Uh, the lady who had cancer was not present, but she uh, her kids were. And her two kids went up and sang a hymn. Oh. And it was awful. They were not good singers. <laughs> throw that out there um so everybody in the room was kind of like yeah let's let's humor these children uh and then they played a very long voicemail from this this woman's (laughs) gay son (laughs) and this is southern illinois yeah um was he did he sound gay yeah yeah and (laughs) southern illinois and there were people like david (laughs) no okay okay there were people like rolling their eyes oh my god because there's this gay fella on the phone (laughs) and it's like it's like this five minute voicemail of this this like very appreciative young man like thanking everybody for coming out but all that people were just like just so <laughs> yeah, making exactly. that like blow jobs. Yeah, exactly. yeah. uh, so then like there's this bad hymn <laughs> uh, teary voicemail they're like alright comedy team so the first guy who goes up his name's Bruce Bruce is a middle aged guy uh, he did he was a church comic for years so he's like he's like a pro 
He could be he could be squeaky clean at that situation. He could be like squeaky clean and likable. So he does twenty minutes. They like him well enough. Now it's my turn. I go up and I'd never bombed before, and I eat the biggest dick I've ever eaten in my life to this day. Bigger bigger than the gay uh, (laughs) son. Yeah, yeah, so big. Uh, And. How dirty were you on a scale of one to ten? Like a five. Like I okay. wasn't. I wasn't super dirty. I had a couple jokes that were like adult themed, but yeah. they just. I was. So it wasn't even that. To, no, you didn't even no. have that to blame. No, but you when just, you're around kids, all of a sudden, all yeah. the stuff that feels very like, nah, it's all yeah. of a sudden like I'm. It's, I might as well take my dick out. Exactly. Like children. Okay. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm doing the. I'm doing my. I'm doing my set, and I'm bombing terribly. Uh, I start tweeting from the stage with worst oh, show man. ever. Um, I pulled. <laughs> Down, I pulled down a screen that they would like show movies on, like in like in high school, and I I stood behind that and told jokes for like five minutes, not just confused. Yeah. I, I was so ready to be out of there, and so I come back from around the screen and I start telling a joke, and there's like a a young guy right in the front row who's just like he's laughing, and I'm like, okay, you, I'm gonna focus on you, I'm gonna entertain you yeah. for the next 10, 15 minutes, which is a good general rule, yeah. too. Just like focus find the person on, that focus likes on it. the one, yeah, and. Uh, he laughed at something when nobody else did. And I made some offhanded comment about taking him home. Uh, just like, Oh, whatever. And, um, as soon as I say that, I get this frantic light from the back of the room. And I was like, all right, fuck it. Good night. That's my time. <laughs> That's how you get, get out of, of that. <laughs> I get out of there. And I, and I go back and they go, Hey, that guy who you uh, said you want to take home, uh, he's mentally, Retarded. Oh my retarded. god! I was like the only person who liked my joke was a handicapped guy that I asked him to come home with me because we both liked a certain kind of snack cake. Oh like, my god! And, uh, That's still a weird thing for them. Like I'll, I'll take him home. I don't care if he's retarded. I'll yeah. take him home. He's not, hey, you uh, know what? For comics who need advice about how to how to end a show, like how to get out yeah. of a gig, <laughs> come see me. Come yeah, I would love turn- to do a show for only the mentally challenged. Yeah, that's a, that a great a great audience. Yeah, yeah. I bet. But that was, I mean, that was like the, the first time I ever like really bombed. That's and a great first bomb story. It though. was That's great. better than anyone I've ever heard. And <laughs> it was, it wasn't the last, I can tell you that, but it, it was, I, I came out of there and I was like, oh man, it felt good. Did you get paid? Get that. No, oh. no, it was a benefit show. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, I, they, they, they're like, we have pulled pork. I was like, I'm getting the fuck out of here. I don't need, I, I don't need your pork. pity sandwich after that. <laughs> um, I'll, get, I'll buy my own pity yeah, sandwich. Exactly. But but then like at, from that moment on, I became like super comfortable on stage. Yeah, I, w- I I had a music background. I played in bands for years before I ever did stand up. Um, so I, I always felt good on stage. I was never somebody who was nervous. But from that moment on, I was like, okay, from, from that it'll moment, it'll never be as bad as yeah. coming on to a retarded kid. I got <laughs> I got way better that my second year of stand up just because I was okay with like really taking chances and bombing. And if it didn't go well, fuck it. Like there's another show. I think it would have been great if after that, every bad set to calm yourself, you just imagine that mentally challenged kid in the front row, just laughing. Keep a picture of my wallet. (laughs) It's for you, Will. (laughs) Underwear picture. Yeah. Um, Wow. Well, so we we need to bomb harder, Jared. We need to bomb. Oh, I've I've bombed plenty. But do you feel like you've had that? No, but not. That's a transcendent experience. In, in a weird way, and I'm not, I don't want to take away how hard that might have been or, or what have you, but like there's a sense where if I can feel that the situation is kind of funny, even if I, I'm not in it, I can appreciate it. Oh, yeah. Most of my bombs have just been uh, mundane, yeah. boring, just, yeah. like uh, just no one likes it again or something like that. I've bombed all across the Midwest. <laughs> I've got some really fun bomb stories. But yeah, the, the, there definitely is what you can in the moment go, 
oh man, I can't wait to leave this stage yeah. and call Kevin yeah. and tell Kevin, dude, this is <laughs> just what happened to me. Uh, that's like, that's, that's a, yeah, it's not that's a, good a good feeling, one. but it's like, okay, at least I got something out at of this. At least you have something. So to, yeah. to compare to, I think it's funny because both are kind of true, right? So uh, I think Matt Bearden said something that I thought was interesting. It was like, an audience won't know that you were set up to fail. Like if the PA system is shit, it's yeah. four o'clock. They'll just see bad. Yeah. But it seems like you're talking about it's kind of inverse too. It's like, look, you don't have to be so ego invested in a situation that like in your situation you had like it was a benefit it for was a woman dying storm. cancer. Yeah, yeah exactly. So it, it wasn't winnable. Yeah. by any yeah. means, you know, like Richard Pryor could have come back from the dead and he would have bombed <laughs> at this thing. You know, <laughs> well, he would have been terrified of it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Okay, let me see. So you moved to Austin uh, about five years ago. May the beginning of May, 2012. And why did you decide to move to Austin? Uh, well, a couple of reasons. The hotel that I worked at a lot was closing. Right. The only other real game in town was the Funny Bone in St. Louis, which is notoriously clickish. And it was about 45 minutes from my house. Mm. And their open mic was really weird. You'd show up at like 7 o'clock, uh, put your name down on a piece of paper and how many people you brought. And then at mm. 7.30, they'd Good put life. the list out. The dreaded bringer. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I would I would spend 45, I'd spend an hour and a half on the road and maybe not even get to do four minutes at this club. Oh, God. That being said, when I was there, it was really good. Every Tuesday, um, Greg Warren, Tommy Jonigan, Nikki Glazer, uh, Josh Arnold, who now hosts... Bob and Tom. Jeremy Essig is a guy who tours the country. Uh, Jake yep. Baker's a guy who tours the country. I mean, there were... Bob and Tom's a like, big radio show in the Midwest. Yeah, right? big, like, big, huge. big. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's like sort of the golden calf. Like That's like, oh, man, if you can get on Bob and Tom... Do we get it? We get it I, don't think, I don't think there's an affiliate here that carries it. But it's like everywhere in the middle of the country. Is yes. It? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, and they're 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 great to comics. Like they 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 put comics on all the time. And it's at one point in time it was kind of like a career launcher in the Midwest. And gotcha. if you can if you can get a hit on Bob and Tom, man, you you've got twenty twenty five weeks worth of work. It's not that way anymore. But at, at the Funny Bone in St. Louis, it was a clinic. Like you could see pros like really good Comedy Central, Letterman. You know Craig Ferguson. You could see pros working on jokes every single week. Uh, I don't know if you guys know Tommy John again. Yeah, mm-hmm. he's 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 one of the best joke writers out there. Mm-hmm. And the year that he was on uh, Last Comic Standing, I saw him like work out a joke, and the whole premise was babies have bad ideas, <laughs> and that was like the premise. And yeah. I remember like over six weeks, like see him go up every week, and slowly this idea he molded it into like two or three really really funny coherent minutes and it's like oh fuck that's how you do it yeah and so it was it was an education in a sense when i would go there but it was just such a pain in the ass to get out there so back to your original question uh why austin i was working in the club and i met two guys uh that really helped shape my decision jr brow and mike mccray Hmm. i I hosted for both of them and they were both like what the fuck are you doing here (laughs) uh because i mean once again it was a b room um though you should be working the funny bone and mike mccray even went so far as like write a letter to the manager saying hey you should work this guy which he never did and uh (laughs) but but still like i I met those guys and i was like hey i'm thinking like i knew the club was going to close um the funny bone wasn't working me the lady who I was headlining for out of Ohio, this horrible booker, it was maybe, 
I don't know, six to 10 weeks of work every few months. Like it wasn't something that was going to break me if I, if I missed it and the shows were terrible. So I was like, it's probably time for like me to make a change. Cause I, I felt like I hit my ceiling there. Yeah. I was the best comic in my club. Um, and I, there just wasn't a whole lot else for me at the yeah. time. So I, I looked into it and it was either, uh, Denver or Austin. And my friend, I've got a really good friend. His name's Kevin O'Brien. I, uh, when I started in St. Louis, he was one of like the really good young comics. He moved to Denver and he's moving to New York like this next week. Really proud of him. He's a oh, great, great comic. Uh, but Kevin came back. He, when I started, he was in St. Louis. Then he moved to Denver. He came back to visit and he was like, Oh man, this is fucking awful here. The funny bone in St. Louis, if you sat in the wrong part of the building, they would ban you. They had an area where you sat if you had worked the club in the past and you, they had an area where you sat at, at an open mic. Oh, if, if you were a comic and you yeah, sat in the wrong place, they, they, they would, would segregate yeah, yeah. the comics by whether or not they had worked the room. And if gotcha. you went to the wrong side, they would fucking ban you yeah, for like yeah. six weeks. That's a bit, that's psychopathic. Yeah, it was, it was that, crazy. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't inclusive and it didn't foster a good relationship with with the comics at all so kevin comes back and he's like you guys know the rest of the country isn't like this like get out so i looked into it and uh jr and mike were both like austin's amazing the weather's great there's industry here you can come in and get work at this really great club the local scene is fantastic and i you know i looked into it and everything seemed really cool and uh my roommate and i he was the bartender at that club at the time uh he was a comic he was doing comedy back then we came down we camped out at one of the parks we did caps open mic we did cold town on monday and decided like yeah this is where we want to live and uh found an apartment off runberg and then moved a couple months later and here we are Wow. All right. Well, that was sorry. a long. That was a long way to get to the answer. No, no, no. That's, no. that's everything I wanted to know. And that that really leads me into something that I've been thinking about lately. And this is more hypothetical because I don't plan on moving necessarily soon or anything like that. But I was having an argument or a debate or whatever with a fellow comic about whether Austin or Houston was better or something like that. And I'm curious if you're a comic in a scene and you don't feel like you're doing well in that scene. Is it, for the most part, look, you just need to get better and you'll be appreciated? Or is it the opposite where, you know, a scene can really make or break? You know, it's either good at cultivating certain things. And I'm curious for if somebody's in a scene and they're, like I said, they're not really breaking out, should they think about moving? I don't mean New York and L.A. necessarily, just like, you know. Is there a scene that might be better for you? Exactly. That's... that's Totally up to... That's a case-by-case thing. Um, For me, getting out of St. Louis was awesome it was great i think that like especially a smaller scene i think it's hard to come back from a bad first impression sure and that if you're a new comic and you don't know what you're doing and you come into a scene where there's people who maybe it's pretty tight-knit um maybe there's a lot of people who've been doing stand-up for 10 years every scene has that guy who's been doing comedy for 10 15 20 years who's not very good um but he comes out week in and week out and like you love him like a brother and he's, he's or Rashid, they're, they're, they're great people. And like, it's, it's hard to like, you can just crack that names, nut, right? Now. Oh, just no. names. No, no. Uh, <laughs> it, it can be really hard to like crack that nut. So you kind of have to determine whether or not, Hey, is, is, am I limited by the people here? Uh, because the other thing I think too, is that it's really important to surround yourself with people who are better than you. Like, 
Jesse Joyce, he's a comic who writes for uh, the Comedy Central Roasts. He was a writing partner of Greg Giraldo, really great comic. Um, he told me, he's like, when you're the best comic in your club, it's time to move. Yeah. And that I found that for me, like, at the end, when I was the guy, I was the guy. I ran the open mic. I was the one who, if there was a fallout every time, if they needed a feature, it was me. Um, I was the guy who solved all the, the problems on in that aspect of 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 that room um and i was i was probably the funniest person in that room and yeah it just i would go up at open mics and just crush with nonsense mm. because you get to a point where everybody roots for you yeah you know and yeah. if you're a revered comic like people want to see you succeed and they want to feel like they're a part of that and to laugh at anything and that's not good for your stand-up yeah and well, it seems there's an opposite too i don't want to name any names but a comic that left semi-recently was saying that he felt a, a lot of pressure in that position to do well. So he felt like he did, he didn't feel free enough hmm. to like work on new stuff. Cause he felt like he had created this reputation as like the really good person. Yeah. And then, so yeah. And that, I mean, that sucks too, but I, I feel like as somebody who's like had to deal with that kind of pressure. Yeah. Um, I don't. I don't think I've met anybody in Austin like that. Sure. So I, I don't know who that person is, but I'll I would. Say all fair. <laughs> I, I would advise. Yeah. I would tell that person, you're probably not. That's not the case. That's a yeah. little in your head. Yeah. There, there's. Yeah. There's. Yeah. I don't think there's anybody. Well, no, in that's this. what he was saying. I mean, he was saying it wasn't but, true, but that okay. he just felt. Uh, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That yeah. makes sense. Yeah. 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 And so then that's that's a totally different thing. That's a feeling that you as a comic have to like, kind of check your ego and yeah. go, okay, like, like take the laughs at face value and like you yourself have to determine is what I'm saying funny or not. Yeah. Um, I, there's nobody, I haven't seen anybody here who's been like that, but th it, that's what it was like for me in St. Louis. Like I said, I would just go up at these open mics with total shit and people would still laugh and I'd walk away feeling like just hollow. Like, man, yeah. I felt, I felt like I tricked those people into laughing because what <laughs> I said, like wasn't worthy of it, but I still, I'm still going to take it cause I'm yeah. a psychopath. But, um, <laughs> Yeah, I think I think getting out I think getting out is great. And I think if you come from like a a smaller scene, see I, I think there's New York and LA and I'll I'll put Chicago in there just cuz of the sheer volume of comedians. After those three cities, there's a handful of like AAA, if you think about baseball yeah, terms, yeah. like <laughs> Portland and Seattle and Denver and Austin and Atlanta and I, I'm sure I'm missing a bunch of Boston. I'm sure I'm missing more San Francisco. Um, there's a handful of places. Think that is it, but What's that? I actually don't think you're missing any now. <laughs> we have a chart. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't think, I think there's a lot of places you can go do comedy in, really find your voice, find out what kind of comic you want to be, uh, what kind of person you want to be. Uh, I think that's equally, that's just as important. Um, and the whole like getting out of your hometown was, uh, an amazing transformation for me having to like pay my own electric bill for the first time and having like pay my own rent for the first time, uh, was, was liberating. And that opened up a whole new set of ideas to me. So I think that like moving can be beneficial in, in multiple ways. Artistically, you made yourself uncomfortable. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's like, yeah, you're also learning, learning more. Cause a lot of people who don't, if you only live in one or two places, you don't know the range of possibilities yeah. of what's going on. Or you think that certain things are, um, because your city is this way and it just turns out, Oh, cities are just that way. Yeah. Stop yeah. calling everybody, like, brunch in Austin thing. People. Yeah. Please stop. Everybody loves that. exit 11. Yeah. 
happens. You know, it's all it's, major cities. You know, but all I, small cities. But thinking about Austin, I do wonder this a lot. Just I mean, it's more of a philosophical problem. But it's like, is the scene really good because it so happens to have a bunch of really good people, or is there something awesome happening here that's generating really awesome people? I think it's probably a little it's bit a, of both. I mean, it sustains itself. Yeah, you know, like just for laughs wouldn't consistently come to Austin if they came in every year and didn't find anybody. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, it, it's it. it it's a self-sustaining thing at this point, at least for the foreseeable future. And, you know, like we had all these people move now. And so now like the pressure is on the rest of us who are here to really step up yep. and, and show the industry that, Hey, Austin has a lot of really good things going for it and, you know, keep paying attention. Well, there's yeah. a lot of opportunities that it seems like, like I said, this fat metal, but it narrows very quickly. Yeah. So mm -hmm. if you want to, if you're ready to work on like, let's say longer sets, you, you really have to wait. Until that stuff opens yeah. up, it's just not e or yeah, and travel as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah absolutely. But point. on the other hand, it's also better than a lot of other places. You know, you, you talk to people who who moved to like L.A. or New York, and I've got a really really funny friend in New York who's like, yeah, all the mics are two minutes long. Yeah, yeah. you got to be there for an hour and pay five bucks to go on stage. Yeah. It's I was gonna move uh, basically a year from now, and I just heard too much of that. Yeah, which is that like I I want to get to a point now where I have the chops that I can not necessarily skip that entirely, but that that's not where I'm developing. Yeah, yeah. you know what I mean. And you, I, I feel like I'm at the point now where. I'm a good enough comic to do shows anywhere in the country. Yeah. And now it's like the relationship building. Like I'm, I'm going to go to LA at some point this year for the first time and just say, hi, I'm Aaron. I'm going to move here at some point in the future. Please put me on your things and like validate me. And then so that by the time that I get ready to go out there, like I've made these connections yeah. and I, I know these people Yeah, and like they know me and trust that like I'm, I'm good enough to put on their shows. So, I mean, it's, it's, it, it's, it's multifaceted, and especially in the sense that like you can't put the cart before the horse. There's a lot of comics who think, man, I'm going to go from Austin straight to L.A., and I'm probably on TV within a year. And it's like, <laughs> that's not how shit works, man. You know, like, you've got you to gotta put your, I mean, it is for some people. Like, 100%. All, this, all this famous money I'm going to get, where am I going to, how am I going to invest that? I need to work that out. Exactly. And, I mean, you, you just have to, you have to build relationships with people, and you have to, you have to constantly prove yourself all the time. Yeah. Always. Um, okay, wait. So let me redirect a little. We've sure. explored those. Uh, do you have a day job? Uh, not anymore. I was recently let go from my oh, company. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, so <laughs> it's been great. All of your income is now coming from comedy. Yeah. Well, unemployment. Well, so. oh, and unemployment. Yeah, the, the government. Um, but so, well, let's say then when you did have your job, uh -huh. uh, were you working full-time, part-time? Full-time. Uh, and you make some money doing comedy sometimes, right? Yeah, okay. I mean, I'm, I'm not somebody who like actively chases... Uh, feature weeks or like mm -hmm. out of town stuff. I could make way more money doing yeah. comedy if I did that. But yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I don't, I don't consider comedy much of an income generator for me here. Right. It was in St. Louis cause I was doing the road a pretty good amount. Gotcha. Um, but that but is the goal, right? To make comedy or career. Yeah. To get it to work for me somehow. Yeah. Um, how that manifests itself. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I, I would love to write, uh, for something, I mean, ultimately, I would love to be Pat Oswalt, you know. But that's that's like a career, and, yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm am not even eight years in, um, right. so it's a long it's a long ways off. But like, I I think there comes a point where if you're serious about it, and you have to look at like how can I make comedy work for me, and the fact of the matter is, you got to get on television if you want to 
be able to sell tickets yeah. to work the road. You can't get on television in a lot of cases unless you have somebody repping you. And a lot of people aren't going to rep you just for stand-up because there's not a lot of money in it for them yeah. or for you. So you have to have another skill set. And that's where like you know, put together a writing packet and always be working on that. And that's another piece of advice I would give people um, is just always be working on a packet because you never know when somebody's going to go, hey, I, I like your voice i'm interested in putting it on this thing what what do you have that i can take with me to show these decision makers that you're the person to do it and like a youtube clip isn't going to cut it yeah you you need a writing packet if you want to like really move forward and that's everywhere is different but um so how does one go about like uh, resources to create a writing writing packet and stuff like that because i feel like that's really good practical advice i think the the advice that i've heard is um, this is from somebody who is dealing with an agent, a page of your, this is going to sound very informal, by the way, mm-hmm. a page of your best tweets, um, a page of monologue jokes, a page of refillable desk ideas, like um, the mean tweets stuff or um, the karaoke stuff, or, you know, singing in cars. Yeah. Like what are things that we can repeat over and over and over again with guests of the week? Um so between those three things, like topical jokes, and you like write them in the style of hosts, yeah, uh, a page of like your just best jokes, and then what are some gags? What are some refillable desk pieces that you can do? And then the other part is like show that you can stretch a little bit, put together a spec script. Uh, I mean, take a show you really like and write an episode of it, or um, put together a pilot for your own thing, and show that you have like those chops too, because that's. I mean, that's, that's really good work if you can get it. And all of that allows you to focus on what you really want to do, whether that's like expanding that writing portfolio. Maybe you want to be, maybe you want to write feature films uh, or maybe you just want to be a comic, like all of that stuff, all those opportunities can help feed into that greater goal. Yeah. And it seems like none of that hurts your comedy, right? Like, so no, do, working no. on a spec yeah. script, working on writing jokes in that angle, it's not like, Oh, well that now my, my stand up bar yeah. went down so I can't you, do you're that. not you're not going to become a shitty stand up comedian because you took a week off of open mics yeah. to like work on the spec script find a way to make it all work together if possible but take your time with it and like and, and really work on building out a packet so that way when if somebody sees you and you don't want to go uh, I can give you here's my website it's a, it's a tumbler like yeah. you, like have like be prepared try to put yourself in, in a position to be prepared for those situations because it might be the only one you ever get and you don't want like your lack of effort to be the reason that it, it doesn't work out you said you were working on a writing project right now yeah I just finished it um there are a lot of places that do writing workshops like NBC has kind of a famous one. It's a late night writers workshop where you send them something similar to what we just talked about. And they, they pick a handful of people to go to New York and sit in a writer's room. And you like, you learn sort of what the process looks like for writing a late night talk show. I just submitted to one for Nickelodeon of all places. They have a year long writers program. Oh. All I had to send them was a 30 minute spec script. Um, and I just turned it in last night and then they, they pick four people to come live in LA for a year and you basically have a year long paid internship in their writer's room and you have a year of, of, of television wow. writing under your belt at that That's point. That's awesome. What was your, can you, can you tell us, was it a TV uh, show or? Yeah, I wrote a uh, spec for it's always sunny in Philadelphia. Cool. Um, 
it was fun. They're on Frank. Nickelodeon. Had you done anything no. like that before? Had you written anything like that? I've, I've written some into some original stuff, but nothing that was like in not not a spec. So it, it was a pretty cool experience, mm-hmm. especially a show like that where all the characters are very well defined and the universe is very well defined, um, and you don't have this pressure of having like a redeeming moment at the end of every show. It was it was a lot of fun doing yeah. it. Yeah, can you tell us kind of how you went about deciding how you were going to do that? Did you find scripts of the show online and look at you know what I mean? Um, so I. A couple of years ago, I, I liked the show. I've seen every episode, with the exception of the season that's currently on the air. Uh, I've seen all the episodes. And like I said, I felt like the characters are, are very well defined, and I felt like I could write in that voice. Um, so I thought, okay, here's here's a dumb idea. Uh, Dennis and Mac find an idea at the bar. It belongs to a friend of Dee's, and they're going to compete to sleep with her mm-hmm. through like a poetry slam and Frank and Charlie are going to go steal all the lint from all the dryers in Philadelphia to make pillows on the cheap. <laughs> right? So it's like this, I was like, okay, here are the two arcs. Uh, let's sit down and write it out. So I, I took, um, I don't know, probably like four or five sessions of a couple hours a piece and just knocked out the first draft, uh, sent it around a handful of people who know my sensibility, who know the show. I got some really great notes on it, edited, yesterday and then turned it in last night cool. and I mean, we'll see what happens they pick four people out of probably a thousand submissions yeah. so I'm, I'm not hoping for much but at the end of the day now i have yeah. a really solid spec script to go along with uh, a web series that i wrote and you know i i could produce a page of tweets or i, I could write monologue jokes so like i'm in the process of building that packet yeah. and and still working on the next thing yeah the, the, if you get an opportunity and somebody, and then you can be like, "Look, the, I ha- I do this. Yeah. It's not right. just something exactly. to talk about. I want to do one day. This yeah. is a thing I do." Because the thing that you learn is like, man, there are, there are so many people who want to be funny for a living, and they want it really fucking bad. Yeah, you know, a lot of people really, really want it, but like desire is not something that allows you to stake your claim and success. Like hard work is and like natural talent and one's ability to learn from their own mistakes and all of those things. Like that's what gets you there. Not just really wanting it. Cause guess what? Everybody who's doing this really fucking wants it. Yeah. You're, you are not special in that regard. What yeah. makes you special is those other things. Yeah. I think that's a great, I love the idea of just starting to work on those things. You know, and you start to work on them when you don't even have that opportunity, then it's not going to be such a crazy, then when you see that thing then it's not so overwhelming like well how can I get a page of monologue and then the ideas and just start working now even if it's you know an hour a week that you have to be like let me start putting that together a friend of mine uh, has he just told me about this like a couple weeks ago and I think it's a great idea um the, the challenge is to write five punchlines a day. Yeah. Whether or not they're good, who knows? But if you don't write 35 a week, whatever the difference is, you got to pay the other person in that many dollars. Oh, that's, that's right? badass. And that's it's just like, smart. it's just like a little thing to like keep you honest and like to keep two people honest. Yeah. And I find that like when you write with people, um, you can use them as a sounding board. And once again, back to that idea of, uh, listen to every idea, but just be careful what advice you take. Like, I, I always feel bad like giving unsolicited advice, but at the same well, you're time, you're solicited like, right now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. At, the, at the same time, <laughs> like if I I don't care who you are, 
I and I, I I know where I stand in the comedy scene. Um, if somebody who's done an open mic for the first time saw me and they heard a tag in my joke, I would one hundred percent listen to them. Is it going to be good? Maybe, maybe not. But you you just never know what's going to send you yeah. down that down that path to the next really good joke. Yeah, I really want to start writing with people more. Doing fun. writing sessions. I know. I, I love. I've loved it every time I've done it. I don't know why I don't. I, got, I, got I mean, I, I say that about like script stuff. I'm not like a joke writer, so yeah. that's really uncomfortable for me. But yeah. like writing sketches and and brainstorming ideas for stuff like that, I, I think is great to do in in, the, in a team or. Honestly, yeah. I, got to, I got to do uh, year in review and yeah. what was the one right after that? Fifty first. Fifty first. Yeah. Those were awesome for me. Yeah. Because it was the first time I was asked to like sit down and like just write these jokes, not you know kind of organically something's going to happen because yeah. you go to a lot of open mics. And yeah, I mean just doing it. I think to tie it back to you mentioned useful failure. I would say that fear of failure is probably what holds most people back from doing that kind of stuff from from working on a spec strip. Uh, because I don't think anybody thinks it's going to hurt them. I think they're like, I'm going to find out I can't do it. Well, the flip side of that coin is that fear of getting passed up is also like an incredible motivator. Yeah. 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 You know, when, when you're, Go when you're doing that. comedy for X amount of X amount of years and you see like the new guy show up and immediately is, is very funny and well put together and getting stuff. You're like, Oh fuck is, is everybody going to pass me by? Yeah. And that makes you want to work harder. Yeah. No, fear's a great motivator. Use your fear. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I want to see if I can get some more of these questions in. Um, these really just kind of fun ones. So, Jared, if you have questions that are I more a, I got a, no, direct. I don't think it's too deep. But, but, so, and I don't want to get too gushy here, but, like, if I was going to describe your comedy, right, there's some stuff really quick that, kind of like, it's yeah. vulnerable. It's emotionally honest. It's delicious. <laughs> uh, but the, especially the first, and I'm, and there's self-deprecation in it. And I'm, but the point is, it's like very real. You're talking yeah. about yourself and your feelings. And I'm curious, is that something that, again, emerged out of your natural process? Or did you have an idea like, this is the way comedy should be. This is the kind of comic I want to be. I grew up loving uh, Richard Pryor. I grew up loving George Carlin and Bill Cosby. Um, I, I've always been a storyteller. My whole family is my whole family is that way. Where like there will be ten of us in a room, and there's four different conversations going on, and everybody kind of jumps in and out. And like the the idea of like storytelling is is uh, very near and dear to me. And like my friend Kevin White says, you're you're the king of vulnerability. And he's also told me, hey, not every set has to be for the moth. So, <laughs> um, I, that, but I, that's the kind of comic I am. There, there's, but you have very strong moments in all those things. Isn't that yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. And I, I feel like that's what I I love talking about. Uh, I love talking about those just those ex- experiences of, of vulnerability, and then I think that that's. I think that's something that everybody can relate to. And I feel like it's even in like this and even in 2017, it's still like kind of taboo as like, as in like a straight American male to admit that you like have failed or that you're sensitive or that you yeah. have feelings. And I, I love you're like hearing it here first. Everyone. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I, I love, I love talking about that kind of stuff and that it's, it's the hard part for me is finding value in the stuff that's not like that. Yeah. It's hard for me to like write, like I'm, I, I'm trying to write jokes about having just lost my job, but I just feel like, Oh, they're just goofy and silly. And I want to talk about like real, like what's like, I want to talk about an experience. Um, so it's hard in the sense that like, I have to like re 
shift every night or like refocus every now and then and go, Hey, not everything has to be the moth. So, but what you're doing, and I think what people could learn from you is that like, you're not just going up there kind of bleeding and like, look at me, you put it in these contexts where it actually, it generates a lot of funny and there's the levity of it. It's not just, yeah. So I think because I'll be honest, I think maybe it's because of just how open mics were. It takes a lot of time doing comedy to be able to generate that. Yeah, it biases towards quick stuff, sure, punchy stuff and stuff like that. And that totally makes sense. And I get like the fear of it and I get the fear of like committing to one bit for an entire set. But, uh, I, I challenge anybody to feel more rewarded after a set than I do sometimes. And I, you know, I, I love it. Hell yeah. Yeah. Um, let's do some fun. Yeah. Well, when this is a question that I realize I want to start asking people, how many nights a week do you comedy? Do you do comedy? Uh, not nearly as much as I should. Mm-hmm. Um, I would love to get out like four or five times a week. I'm probably at this point, especially because I've been focusing on this writing thing. I haven't done much at all. I've turned down a few things just to like really focus on it. Uh, but now I'm, I'm hoping to get back to like four or five nights a week, mm-hmm. but it's not nearly as much right now. Um, and do you do, do you still do any open mics? Yeah, I, uh, I did the valve not too long ago. I did cap not too long ago. I guess I mean, uh, besides valve. Oh, I I uh, yeah. I, I was doing, um, kick butt somewhat mm-hmm. regularly a while ago. That's another one that I want to get out to. Um, there's a lot of them that have popped up recently that I, I want to go to, you know, Andrew Clarkson has the new one. And, yeah. Um, yeah, the, I, there's, that's on me just being lazy and being like preoccupied with other things. But yeah, it's, it's definitely a plan for me to get back out and do more just stand up. Yeah. I always just wonder how, you know, comics start to choose how to use their time eventually when you get to a point where it's like, is it just there are certain open mics that are useful and then there's certain open mics that just aren't worth your time and to, I think that that's that's a realization you you have to come to yeah I think that there are definitely open mics where you go I'm not gonna get anything out of that mm-hmm. like I'm not gonna learn whether or not like ultimately yeah. the whole idea of going to an open mic is to discover whether or not these jokes right. are good and like there's a lot of them where it's just not conducive to you're learning you're not gonna that. learn from yeah. the 12 comics and the 3 patrons <laughs> I mean sometimes I do like there are certain open mics where I'm like I'll find those three patrons and I'm like y'all are who I'm talking to but then it can be exhausting for them if they if they're saints about it and they stay and then yeah and then it can be kind of awkward they don't understand why the comics are are not good audience members and then (laughs) you're looking at them too much and they're like you know I don't know they're just tired from being talked at by 12 angry people (laughs) let's practice our crowd work on these three all night we put (laughs) a lot of pressure on those people too because then they get locked in and like they feel like because they know that they're only three and like well now I can't leave the fucking shows over well and part of the problem too is that like when there's only three people comics when there's only three people in a show you don't have to fucking call attention to yeah Yeah. these three people because they're gonna get harassed all fucking night like let them sit there let them come and go as they want let them enjoy the comedy show for as long as they want don't berate them yeah yeah or get mad when they're not paying attention or not they laughing. They didn't mean to. Ca- yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You guys don't like my boner jokes yeah. that you did. Yeah. You should be thankful that those three people are there. Cause if not, there wouldn't be a fucking show. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right. Um, so is there any, is there something that you wish someone had told you in your first few years? Oh man. Uh, my first few years. Yeah. Leave. Yeah. Like get out. I, I wish I would have left St. Louis. Uh, man, so you hear that guys to a year listeners leave wherever you are. Just leave. Like, I mean, get yeah, like <laughs> I, I can't, I can't stress like 
how good it was for me to get out. Yeah. And just, I mean, it was also like my, where I was in life at the time too. Um, I had just dealt with like a really difficult passing. My, my grandmother, uh, I, I was like a primary caretaker for her the last year she was alive. And then I started doing stand up a couple years or a couple months after she passed away. So I was just like ready to go. I was working yeah. at a bookstore, like making like no money. Like there was nothing tying me to yeah. St. Louis. And, and then yet change is hard. Yeah. It, it's reason. really fucking hard. And <laughs> it's easy for me to sit here now at 32 and say, man, I wish I would have told 26 year old Aaron, Hey, you've, you've learned enough. You can go now. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it, it was, it was still really hard yeah. to like make that decision and actually go through with it. Yeah. All right. And do you want to ask your fairy yeah, guest? And I'm going to keep asking this question until I start getting the, the answer same you're looking responses. for. Oh, no, no. Okay. <laughs> but it's like, because this is, I'll, I've, I think I've said this on the podcast a few times. We were worried about the concept of the show in the first place because it was like, okay, is everybody going to say the same thing, essentially? Mm-hmm. And it, luckily, it has not been that way. There's just yeah, been such been a variety different. of answers yeah. and, and opinions. It's like, you know, there's a standard sort of set of ideas about how to do comedy. And nobody's, for the most part, nobody's like, don't go out and do comedy. But yeah. a lot of variations. <laughs> So here's mine. Uh, one of those questions. Uh, if you could, you know, magic wand style, anything you want, change Austin comedy, what would you do? What would it be? It's the, um, there are more wasted sets here than anywhere I've ever, any, I mean, I've only been in St. Louis and here, yeah. but there are so many sets where, uh, and I'm as guilty of it as anybody. I mean, I, I no fuck that. I'm not, uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I know what works best for me. Yeah. So like for me going on stage with a kernel of an idea and talking my way through it for four to six minutes is honest to God, the best way for me to write jokes. Uh, it's not for everybody. And there are a lot of, a lot of shows you'll go to and like showcases too, where you'll see people just fuck around and that's, that's all good and well. I get it. Uh, but like if people, I was always taught if people are paying for a show, mm-hmm. like make sure you do stuff that you know works. Yeah. Um, which once again, I'm as guilty of, of that as, as anybody. But I, I think there's just like a lot of, there's a lot of wasted sets here and I'll couple that with, there's a lot of wasted sets here that are, um, that are applauded by, uh, your friends. Mm-hmm. So it, it's, it's hard for me to sit here and like see, oh, comic, this comic is this hotshot comic who's like getting a lot of shit and getting booked on stuff. And then you watch them just burn a set at an open mic, but their friends just think it's the funniest shit. Yeah. And it's like, no, you are, you are complicit in setting your <laughs> friend up for failure because those jokes weren't good. Yeah. Uh, I feel like that there's like a real honesty issue amongst pals here. Um, and so it can be refreshing if you find somebody here that you click with comedically and they call you on your bullshit, you found a really good comedy friend. Uh, so I think one, try to get something out of every set that you do. And like, like you and I, Ariel talked about, like, even if it's going into the crowd and like Mm -hmm. flexing that muscle and like building those chops, which is so important, uh, because it's, it's great when you're on a show and, like you, you need to talk to the crowd or like it just, the, the situation just calls for it. Yeah. If somebody's being loud or if, if they, they're on their phone, they're on their phone. Like uh, if the situation calls for like you engaging, like having that, 
having that ability in your back pocket is priceless. Yeah. So even if it's just that, even if it's just taking a minute to get comfortable asking people like personal questions, like you said, not what do you do? Where are you from? What's your name? Or have you been here before? What do you like to eat off the menu? Like any, anything. So try to get something out of every set and then don't stop fucking encouraging mediocre or bad comedy. Yeah. That's not good for anyone. And you're hurting you're hurting, scene. you're hurting that person. You're hurting that person that, directly. We, we had been talking about this about people getting on stuff they're not ready for because they're either like sort of like more popular or they're good at networking and stuff yeah. like that, which is good for them and they're getting stuff. But then you have to wonder: is that hurting that person? One hundred percent. I think so, and I think you see it. Like, I, think, yeah. I think that like the thing that props you up as a comic should be your jokes. You can be you can be the <laughs> crazy like, idea. Yeah, but, yeah, you can be the sweetest, nicest person, but a horrible comedian, and you'll still get on shows. Conversely, you could be a piece of shit, garbage fire of a human, and be a great comic, and you'll still get on shit. So, I mean, it's finding that balance somewhere in the middle of like, be the best comic you can be, try to be a good person, but really like, just stop encouraging mediocre yeah. comedy. Like, there's no reason. Just because somebody has a reference that you get, or there's somebody who is is a friend of yours, like, like be honest yeah. with each other. And I, I don't know. That's probably that's me on my high horse. But like, it's I, I, I see that more and more. Yeah. Like when I go out, that especially at open mics where like people just keep feeding compliments. Like yeah, down we've throat. we've lost some of the that comedy scene edge of like. It should be difficult. It should be painful sometimes. You're yeah. supposed to eat a dick when you're not being well, funny. What's, yeah. ha- what's happening, too, and one of the reasons that the rationales behind this podcast, too, is to talk to people who are at the scene, the, the sorry, the top of the scene, uh, and communicate their thoughts yeah. to people really at the bottom who are coming up. Because what you don't have now, because the scene's gotten so big, is a lot of the same, or sorry, different level comics sharing the same space. Right. Yeah. So you don't have... the. You're not you don't getting have, heckled at the valve. Exactly. Like you don't we have, were, you know. I mean, maybe it doesn't have to always be so negative, but you don't have ball-busting yeah. older comics being like, you gotta stop that hacky shit. Yeah. You gotta stop that. And it's okay when your friend comes off stage to not tell them, good set. Yeah, yeah, yeah It's yeah. okay to go, man, that was rough. Like, yeah. it's okay. If that person's gonna be a comic, if that person wants to be a comic, yeah. then they're gonna have to deal with that. And if they can't, well, then that's... Yeah, you know, that's I think okay people too. need to find a way to, you know, because... Anytime my friend it, gets off stage, I'm like, you should quit. That, you, no you know, but you can say, like, you can say something with that communicates I still love you even yeah. though you just ate a dick and like, and like it's it's okay I'm oh, sorry to interrupt go no, ahead no no so I mean I try to do that where you pat someone's arm and you're like you say something like you laugh laugh with them about yeah. how bad that sucked instead of saying good set yeah just be like whew well yeah. you had the one good joke about something but you know we're friends and <laughs> yeah. we, let's laugh about that I mean, but I will say that there are people who if you try to approach them like that will go what are you talking about yeah, yeah well like, those people nah. and I mean those people exist here yeah. and they have yeah. existed here and I, but then like that's the thing like all you can do is like be honest and real with that person and like I, once again back to like I wouldn't if, if, if my if I'm, I'm really good friends with Mac Blake and if Mac Blake 
goes and eats shit on a set and he comes off and he's like oh i'm like yeah man that was ugh, i know yeah. i'm not like no buddy you, you nailed <laughs> yeah, it i'll tell you <laughs> i i hate it when i come off stage and i had a set that it's you don't have to bomb but you just have a set that just wasn't great yeah and someone says hey good set i'm just like fuck you why are you doing that because now i have to be like oh thanks because i can't i have to be gracious if you give me this yeah. compliment yeah but what i really want i and i hate it because for so long i would just be like eh. but people are like i don't know it just puts you into this bad position if, if you didn't have a great set it puts you into this bad position of either being a dick about it because you're like no I didn't yeah. uh, or, so don't do that just well, just punch someone on the well, arm or whatever but you don't have to say good set and it's also okay to like if you go up and see that somebody has like a mediocre set it's it's okay to say hey man I really like this idea yeah like, there, there are there are ways to like positively engage right. people w- without pandering to them yeah. right. they know as well as everybody else that it wasn't great right there's just ways to do that. Yeah, exactly. I, I also feel like it's a good idea to intone that note away from just telling other people. It's a, it's a good thing, I think, it, you know, so far, to internalize the feeling of when you get off, no matter how well it went. I'm not saying, like, ah, oh, I'm still a piece of shit. But, like, okay, that could have been better. Yeah. This could have, like, yeah, th- that kind of criticism, I think, is good. All that being said, uh, there's a romantic idea inside of me that wants to tell every person who comes off stage great set. Yeah. yeah. Because, like, I, I appreciate what you're doing I know how difficult it can be and I, I want to I want to validate that thought in you uh, so like good job is different than great set yeah yeah, yeah. and but I, but I think that like there are still good very, work up there exactly yeah. or like if somebody goes up first and eats it yeah man wait thanks for taking that's that that's what bullet. I say yeah <laughs> thank you yeah. thank someone for, for yeah. a difficult position or yeah and find specific things to compliment but you can do it in a way where yeah, yeah there doesn't have to be this bullshit because there are people whose egos work that way there, there are people like whose egos work one way where you're like it, you think it wasn't a good set and everyone else is like no it really was but then there's the people who really don't know they had didn't they had a bad yeah. set and those people let's not encourage crazy. them either but i think i think <laughs> another another sorry to keep rambling no, another no, thing to touch on too is like not everybody wants to hear your fucking thought on yeah x joke yeah so like i i always kind of unless it's somebody that i really know i always kind of caution people i'm like hey, I, I i'm not somebody who's gonna immediately after that set say hey here's a tag um but I, the best thing for me is just if you're paying attention and you're watching their set enough to make a judgment on whether or not it was good, I think it's okay to say, hey, this is this is something that I liked. Uh, this is this is an idea that, that I think has a lot of promise. And you're complimenting a portion of their set. You're not giving them unsolicited advice. So you're still feeding them and yeah. validating that ego and all that bullshit. But you're being honest with yeah. them. No, I think that's great. Um, so then our last uh, uh, question that we'd like to ask is, and I think this will be really fun for you um, to answer, is is what is your favorite joke or your favorite joke of the moment, and then how did you write it? Because I'm interested to hear you talk about writing, writing it on stage. Uh, my favorite joke uh, is about my dad being really sick. Um, my, my dad and I don't talk. We're not, we're not close at all. Uh, and I, it's one of those things where like every couple of years there'll be this weird thing where my dad and I will connect, you know, and then we catch up and then he's a, he's a prick and we don't talk for another few years. Uh, I got and, one of them. Yeah. <laughs> but my, with the, with, uh, the, the internet, you heard about that? That's my Pat <laughs> Dean impression. Yeah, you heard good. about this? Yeah. Um, <laughs> 
my stepsister like reached out to me and was like hey your dad's really sick and like he's gonna lose his legs so I, I wrote a joke about my dad getting his legs cut off and that's back to like being very honest and very open and, and vulnerable uh th- this joke is all about like me processing the feeling of of my dad losing his legs and it's very dark and it's kind of morbid but it's also the best joke that i have uh it's got a wonderful tag and i'm, I'm proud of it and it's the first thing that i ever wrote where i'm like i f- i feel like this is something that will be on television someday yeah yeah mm-hmm. and because it's uh, your it's your voice yeah 100 it and yeah. what's great about that if i can is also it's where it goes is not where you think it's yeah. going to go. Yeah. So it's not just, okay, I'm being funny talking about my uh, feelings, my sadness. There's this element of absurdity yeah. <laughs> to it towards the end. That really is good. Yeah. And I, I think that that shows a lot in like my writing, uh, even like sketches and stuff that I've done, uh, is that there, there's an element of, of tenderness and silliness and absurdity and honesty kind of all at the same time. And I think no better joke in my repertoire it sounds horrible saying that uh, <laughs> no. no I don't have a joke that that exhibits those qualities more um, and for me it was just all about talking through it on stage and like willing to be vulnerable in front of a room yeah. of 200 people so, so the first time that you, if you remembered the first time you talked about it on stage how much did you have uh, before you went on stage I had I think a couple of punchlines mm-hmm. for it and I I was featuring at Cap City um and in the middle of a Thursday night set in, in front of Matt Bearden, uh, I started talking about my dad being sick. And I think I opened up with my dad's dying. And I just kind of harped on it. And I kind of hung around on that point of it for a little too long. And it kind of brought it brought people down. But then the jokes came and everything was good again. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's very like Tignataro. It, yeah, it, it's, it's finding moment. that balance, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and. Uh, but that was the first time I ever talked about it on stage. And then over the course of the weekend, I kind of honed it to where it was okay. And then uh, a couple weeks after that, I had it kind of tightened up to where it is now, essentially. But that is what what you like to do is to start with a few punchlines and and really nothing else and then go and, and work your way through it. Either punchlines or like the framework of a story. Mm-hmm. If it's, if I'm like thinking of something that happened when I was a kid, yeah. uh, the, the, I mean, there's a story framework already there and you can like, you can hang out in different parts of the arc and, uh, and find jokes about, about whatever, you know, yeah. about any kind of, a, I, I always feel like if you're telling a joke that has like an A to Z, Anytime there's a new character or a new place or a new thing that gets brought into it, there's an opportunity for you to, to tell a joke about it. Uh, and there's always an opportunity to tell a joke via reflection and and how you react. And so, I mean, it, it depends on, on what it is. For that thing uh, with my dad's legs, I had a couple of punchlines and a very vague idea of like, just things I wanted to talk about. And I'm, I'm totally comfortable just, okay, I'm, I'm going to outline it, and I'm just going to hang out in this point for a little bit and see what happens, and I'm going to hang out in this point and just like talk and then see what pops up. Yeah. Well, it seems like uh, a really fun way to write comedy, and it's certainly a fun way to listen to comedy. It's super fun to write it that way. I highly suggest giving it a shot. Yeah. Word. Yeah. Hell awesome. yeah. Do that shit. Yeah. yeah. Thanks, Aaron. Thank that was you. awesome. Thank you. Thanks. Okay, that was our episode with Aaron. Uh, we're really glad he did it. Uh, if you want to follow him on Twitter, uh, that's at FunnyBrooks. Um, and if you want to follow Ariel and myself, Ariel is at PoopTampon. That's 
what she chose. Uh, and myself, uh, it's just my name, at Jared McCorkle. It's J-E-R-E-D-M-C-C-O-R-K-L-E. Um, also, if you have any uh, questions that you'd like to send the podcast for us, in terms of questions you want answered or guests maybe you'd like to, to hear on the podcast, uh, that's leadingtheblindpodcast at gmail.com, just like it sounds. Um, and maybe, you know, this time, more questions about comedy and less um, less death threats uh, aimed at me. That'd be great. Okay. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys.